to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. In today's podcast, we're going to be looking at the case of the Crown on the application of Bankhold Number 2 against the Secretary of State for Foreign and Commonwealth Affairs. The case reference for this case is 2016 UKSC 35. Now before we nosedive straight into this case, it's really important that you understand the historical background and the context, in particular relating to the Chagos Islands, which are a group of very small islands in the middle of the Indian Ocean, um, but they're owned by the British and are often referred to as the British Indian Ocean Territories. Why is this relevant? Well, in the early 1960s, the United States, as part of its Cold War effort, sought to obtain certain islands within the Indian Ocean area as part of its Cold War efforts. After a lot of looking around, the United States decided on Diego Rivera, which is the largest and also the most inhabited island of the Chagos Islands. In 1966, a deal was concluded between the British government and the US government so that the United States could use the Chagos Islands, and in particular Diego Rivera, as a military base. However, part of this agreement established that the Chagos Islands should, for want of a better word, be depopulated. In other words, the native population of around 2,000 people should be removed. This was obviously a completely horrible thing to do. The British acted really badly. They tried to say, for example, that there was no native population in the Chagos Islands and that everyone there was transitory workers from places like the Seychelles or Mauritius. This being in spite of the fact that many of the people who were living on the island at the time were third or fourth generations and could trace their heritage back to the late 18th century. Furthermore, the reason that they're called the British Indian Ocean Territories was part of an agreement with Mauritius, so when Mauritius declared independence from the British in the 1960s, part of the agreement was that Mauritius would give up its rights to the Chagos Islands, and so the British could take them over, so that they could use the islands um, for the US to use as an air force base themselves. The question that we're really focusing on is really the humanitarian one of what happened to the people who lived in the Chagos Islands and particularly on Diego Rivera. Well, most of them got shipped off to Mauritius, but the Mauritius government didn't really want anything to do with them, treated them very badly, put them up in poorly designed flats that often didn't have doors or windows, and a great deal of poverty in a horrible area where there were limited opportunities for the Chagossian people to integrate into society. Later on, some did use their British passports and moved to Crawley in the UK simply because that was near Gatwick Airport where they landed. But this is a people who have been driven from their homeland and a diaspora that spread right across the Indian Ocean as well as to the UK itself. There has been an ongoing campaign for the Chagossians to try and get their rights recognised and most importantly of all for the Chagossian people to be able to actually return to the islands and in particular Diego Garcia. This campaign started in the 1980s where there was a push for compensation. The people did eventually get compensation although this was very measly around £3,000 and involved the people claiming it to sign a British legal document that deferred all of their rights to residency in the island. Now the thing that you have to understand in this context is that most of the people who had lived on the Chagos Islands were illiterate or certainly didn't understand a British legal document. To give you an example, many of the 
um, contracts for getting the compensation were signed with a thumbprint because the people simply weren't able to write their own name. In the UK, the campaign for the rights of the Chagossians really got started in the year 2000, where the High Court quashed Section 4 of the Immigration Order 1971, and this particular section prohibited resettlement of the Chagos Islands. At this point, the Chagossians, including Olivier Bancor, who is the applicant in this particular case, celebrated because they thought that this meant that they could go home. But as part of this process, the British government decided to commission a feasibility study that would look at the prospects of actually returning to the island. This feasibility study concluded, however, that returning to the island would be both prohibitively expensive as well as insecure for the people moving back. Now, if you think about this even just a very little bit, this is obviously a ridiculous point. In terms of the prohibitively expensive, the government concluded that it would cost about £5 million to take the people back to the island altogether, £5 million each year after that to actually let the people live on the island and be relatively prosperous. And this would also include things like schools, healthcare, as well as law enforcement on the island. £5 million, though, as part of the overall British Government Fund for International Development is a complete drop in the ocean. And when you consider the complete injustice done to the Chagossian people over the past 50 or so years, this is absolutely nothing and the least that the British could do to help these poor people return to their rightful homes. Furthermore, the idea that living on the island is precarious is even more ridiculous. You'll remember that this idea of selling the island or letting the United States use the island in the first place was as part of an air force base and so people had been living on the island the whole time. In fact many of the United States Air Force described Diego Rivera as Fantasy Island. They didn't want to leave. So the idea that for the Chagos people to actually move back and then all of a sudden living on the island would be precarious was absolutely ridiculous and even reading through the report discussions about the availability of drinking water, even though it does rain on the Chagos Islands more than in a lot of other territories around. Finally, one of the other ideas that did come up was the importance of climate change, and it's correct that the Chagos Islands are being affected by climate change, but this isn't affecting a lot of other areas and doesn't make the Chagos Islands uninhabitable right now. If in the future it's decided that the people of the Chagos Islands would need to move for their own safety, then that's a future decision to be made down the road, not one that the British government should be making on behalf of these people right now. Nevertheless, the feasibility study was accepted by the British government, and in 2004 they made another order that essentially once again prohibited resettlement on Diego Garcia and the Chagos Islands. This 2004 order is also the subject of this appeal and in particular we'll be looking at the 2008 challenge to the 2004 order, which did fail. After this challenge failed, in 2010 the United Kingdom government decided to make the Chagos Islands a marine protected area and therefore reinforce the idea that the Chagos people would not be able to return. However, as the British government made provision for the Chagos Islands to be designated a marine protected area, new documents arose that cast doubt upon the original 2004 decision to ban resettlement. These were known as the Rashid documents, 
and are the subject for this new appeal that we'll be looking at today. Furthermore, a new feasibility study that was commissioned and published in 2014-2015 also suggested that resettlement was possible. So we essentially have two things that we're dealing with here. On the one hand, non-disclosed or evidence that was hidden from the Chagossian people in terms of the non-disclosed Rashid documents from 2010, as well as new evidence in the form of the 2014-2015 feasibility study. Essentially, in this case before the Supreme Court, Olivier Bancol sought to try and get the 2008 decision set aside so that once again the 2004 decision could be open to challenge by way of judicial review in the light of this new or non-disclosed evidence. However, the decision of the Supreme Court went against Olivier Bancol in this case, and so it's really back to square one, although we'll look at potential options that do present themselves. This was, however, a narrow decision in favour of the government. The majority in the case decided that judicial review is a focus on the procedure for a decision, and so the question is really whether a challenge on the basis of this non-disclosed or fresh evidence would actually have resulted in a different result in the 2008 court case. They decided that it would not have affected the result in 2008, and so the 2004 order would have stood anyway. For the minority, they disagreed, and in particular Lord Kerr pointed out that it was enough that there was a real possibility of a different outcome to the 2008 case, and that should be sufficient for the appeal to succeed. Nevertheless, the court did speak of a potentially fresh option for Olivier Bancol in a future case because a case could be brought on the basis of the government's failure to either change or revoke the original 2004 order which prohibited resettlement on the basis of this new or non-disclosed evidence. In other words, because the government had stuck to their guns so hard and fast since 2004, despite a range of other options potentially being revealed or becoming available suggests that a new challenge could be made and this could be the future for this case. This is an interesting case then because I think we have to look at it not only from a legal point of view but also a wider policy or even humanitarian point of view as well. In a legal sense this was probably a correct decision by the majority in the case. We have to remember that judicial review is not focused on any sense of natural justice but rather is a pure focus on things like the procedure and the evidence used as part of a decision. To satisfy that criteria of something like irrationality in judicial review there is a high threshold and this is really a correct approach by the court because if any old decision by the government could be challenged easily this would lead to decisions being overturned all the time and would create a large degree of uncertainty for the government in terms of the decisions that they're making, and would, to a great extent, um, take away the government's authority. This, it could be argued, is linked to a wider concept of the rule of law and having certainty in the law and also the legal procedures that surround it. However, if you are like me, then you probably can't witness this case in a complete vacuum. It's impossible to ignore the wider injustice that has been done to the Chagossian people by the British government for the past 50 years, and this injustice could potentially continue for many years to come. Lots of the people who were removed from the Chagos Islands as children are now moving towards retirement age and may never see their homeland ever again. It's the story of a people who have in many cases literally been forced from their homes 
the people of the Chagos Islands in the late 60s, their dogs, their pets, their farm animals were all killed, with the direct implication from the British government that if you didn't leave the island, then it would be you getting shot next. I mean, literally no one in the Foreign Office comes out of this story with any glory whatsoever, and it doesn't matter within the context of British politics whether you're a Labour supporter or a Conservative supporter, because people from both sides of the aisle have made decisions that have negatively affected the Chagossians over the years, whether that's Harold Wilson in the 1960s, or Tony Blair in the 2000s, or David Cameron since that point. This isn't to say that the idea of establishing the Chagos Islands as a marine protected area is necessarily a bad idea. In fact, it's a very good idea. You just have to do a Google image search of Diego Rivera or the Chagos Islands to see what a beautiful paradise this is with wonderful coral going right around the islands. But to use this as an excuse for a people not to be able to return home is simply not good enough. If anything, we should be allowing the Chagossians to return home as stewards for their island. They should be allowed to take responsibility for this wonderful habitat and this wonderful coral and almost be employed by the British government to look after this area for the good of mankind and the good of scientific research. As you can probably tell, since I started researching this case and looking into it in a lot more detail, I've really come to identify with the Chagossian people and their right to return home, and it's something that I would say I feel very strongly about. If, after listening to this podcast, you want to find out more, then there's a really good documentary on YouTube by John Pilger called Stealing a Nation, which I definitely recommend you watch. And if after watching that or after listening to this podcast, you decide that you want to help support the Chagossian people in their right to go home to the Chagos Islands, then you can visit chagosrefugeesgroup.org and sign the petition and donate to the group. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you did enjoy it, then make sure to subscribe for new episodes via iTunes or any other podcast app that you use. Also, if you could leave a rating, that would be really great as it helps other people to discover the podcast as well. And I hope to see you next time for more UK Law Week. Bye.